Spotlight presented by Economic Opportunity Board of Clark County in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. In this podcast, we aim to provide more resources and answers to help achieve success. We're sitting down with Commissioner William McCurdy as he shares his vision for District D in the Las Vegas community. Uh, for being here today, Commissioner McCurdy, um, we are, this is our what, third podcast? Yeah. Um, Happy to have you here. Uh, we just want to get an overview of, one, what your vision is uh, during your term here. How can uh, Economic Opportunity Board be of service to you? Uh, what kinds of things do you see coming down the pike that may be beneficial to us? And then how can we uh, help you in some of the endeavors that uh, you may be engaging in? So. Uh, well, number one, you know, thank you for inviting me on your podcast. Um, I see a lot of opportunity for us to continue to improve our relationship as well as provide better service uh, to our community members. Um, myself, uh, I've been here all my life. My family has been here since the you know late 30s, early 40s. So naturally, I have uh, a vested interest in improving uh, the quality of life of folks who not only live uh, within the historic west side and the radius of about a one mile surrounding, uh, but for residents all across Commission District D, uh, which geographically spans from uh, everything covering downtown Las Vegas, North Las Vegas, west to Decatur, all the way east past Nellis to Christie Lane. So naturally, again, uh, we have a lot of work to do, uh, but also uh, a lot of areas of collaboration. Uh, I see a lot happening, especially as we, you know, continue our rebound uh, from the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, very early on, on uh, when getting elected to this to this role, I had an opportunity to partner uh, with EOB and the MLK Community Center uh, to really launch uh, vaccination efforts uh, within the community that has been hardest hit. And I just want to take a pause and thank you uh, for, for hosting us, but also uh, being the catalyst of vaccination efforts within uh, the black community and surrounding areas. Uh, well, we, we, we appreciate that. And, and we try to, as a result of the pandemic, try and touch as many people, <clears throat> excuse me, as possible, just to make sure that one, we're providing services for those folks in need. And we know that the pandemic has hit this particular area uh, pretty hard. So we've been trying to focus our efforts more on making sure that families are stable, making sure that um, individuals who are either engaged in the workforce or are looking to be re-engaged with the workforce have a path to success. So we're working with workforce to um, make sure that training is available, any available jobs that people may need assistance either in transportation to get to work, maintain work, child care support, anything that helps the family be more stable so that they can continue to be um, or continue to practice their normalcy um, to keep the family together and bring in income during this pandemic. Um, we're trying to make sure that one, people understand what it is that we do, that they know what resources are available, that they're easy to get to, and that there's somebody out there where they can go and get help. So we, we're trying to be as inclusive as possible when it comes to both pandemic response and recovery efforts. Uh, and I think a part of that also leads to the vaccination efforts as well. Even though we haven't really engaged in the overall general adult population, but being able to service the seniors in particular has been a, a big spot for us. So. Yeah, and you, you touch on a, a very um, important topic, uh, which is providing the resources that are needed for families to not only, you know, um, resume their, their, their normal course mm -hmm. of living, but also provide 
those resources to help them improve their quality, quality of living, whether it be by helping to navigate them to transportation uh, resources and to help them get to work, or it is, you know, seeing how we can provide, you know, maybe assistance to them by way of um, the economic downturn that we've all experienced. Right. Um, I think naturally uh, we are going to need more of your services, and we're so glad that you're working in this area to to help folks really retool and retrain for the jobs that are going to be needed, not only within the 21st century, but the jobs that are going to be needed post-COVID, which essentially, in my opinion, exposed uh, America <laughs> where we were weak in terms of right, technology, right. in terms of, you know, being uh, connected digitally. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that we have folks who are in the state legislature who are trying to create policy to help with further connecting us and, and really eliminating that digital divide, uh, which is also where EOB is going to play, you know, a very important a role in assisting, you know, some of our seniors to, to be better connected mm -hmm. uh, so that they can actually continue to uh, to navigate this new world that we live in with COVID, right? Because COVID is not going it's anywhere. It's not going away. So we have to learn how to evolve and exist within this what we now know is this new norm right right, right. Uh, so I think that um, we have again uh, a lot of opportunity and, and being on the workforce connections board uh, I plan to continue to be an advocate uh, for EOB and, and the and the needs that you may have uh, to further your uh, commitment to improving the quality of life in the community and helping to eliminate poverty, uh, which is what your mission is. Exactly. Uh, so uh, you touched on child care. Mm -hmm. We know that child care is one of the largest line items on a monthly budget for, you know, members not only here in Clark County and in the state of right, Nevada, right. but all across the country. Right. So uh, how can we better connect uh, parents uh, to resources to help them uh, have the safety and security of knowing that their child is somewhere safe while they're out earning a living to right. provide for that child. So um, I see, you know, deepen, deepening our relationships there and making sure that you have the resources that you need to, to, to do that work. Yeah, I think one of the things that we're really going to start to shift gears and refocus on is the recovery efforts. So how do we how do we help families and individuals, one, get back to some semblance of where we were pre-COVID? And then what does that look like? Because the landscape is different now. We know that as a result of COVID, when most businesses kind of sort of re reverted to remote operations or work from home, how do we help people who haven't been used to that kind of format? How do we get them trained to better work in those areas and be more comfortable, one, with the technology that's needed to be able to be successful to do that? And then two, how do we get them the resources? Because a lot of people that we service simply don't have access to good, clean internet, um, the compute resources that they need, the phone resources. So how do we help people, one, be more stable and working remotely, two, find those jobs that will allow them to be able to do that safely, and then three, how do we get them trained in a fashion where they can be successful in doing those jobs remotely so that they don't have to worry about jumping from place to place to place? Naturally, our relationship is going to have to increase within our federal with our federal delegation and advocating. You know, we just passed the American Rescue Plan, which is going to address uh, essentially what you started with, with, you know, with your last statement with recovery. Mm -hmm. um, that plan uh, details everything from helping with rental assistance, utility assistance. It helps with funding local governments to the tune here in Clark County of over $400 million dollars. Um, it is also going to help with uh, to help with child care is going to help with increasing payments uh, for for folks who are working from home. But in addition to that, uh, we're also going to have another package that's going to be passed from the federal government uh, surrounding just the infrastructure that's right. going to be needed uh, as we reimagine this world that we live in. Our 
seniors, as you just stated, are going to have to be retrained. Uh, we do know that there is a real digital divide. We do know that the jobs that existed in 2019 are not going to exist in 2022. Uh, we do also know that we're going to have a major investment in new and existing businesses uh, that are going to help us uh, pretty much restart our economy. Mm -hmm. uh, we also know that we have to uh, diversify the revenue streams that we have within Clark County, and we cannot be uh, so dependent on the hotel corridor, realizing that it is our main bloodstream right, right. Uh, and it is our main artery uh, for economic activity here in Clark County and within the state, but also having the foresight to 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 try to determine where we are going to be in 2031 uh, and how we are going to be able to prop up new and emerging industries who are going to take us into the next generation. So you mentioned that you're on the Workforce Connections Board. Bingo. So how do we, as we collaborate with uh, Workforce as well, how do we get, one, the general public to understand that Yes, those jobs that were here pre-COVID may not necessarily be returning once we get back to normalcy, whatever that means. And then two, how do we help, how do we help workforce be more successful in finding those avenues that will be new and different for people to be able to engage work opportunities? Well, what we're trying to do now is get access to different um, methodologies and uh, training resources so that people can, one, be more independent with uh, their job selection opportunities. So instead of maybe um, looking at traditional work, lines of work in the hospitality or the service industry, how do we get people trained in uh, more entrepreneurial type skills. So how do you do, how do we get you in the truck driving school or uh, barber school or whatever it is that you wanna do? We want people to know that as we move forward, the recovery is gonna look a lot different than what it did after the recession, right? Because after the recession, everybody just assumed that they were just gonna go back to the casinos, pick up their old work and be able to continue from there. But we're not seeing that now. What we're seeing is that a lot of those remote work from home jobs that have been established as a result of COVID, those are gonna remain in place. And a lot of folks just aren't ready to be able to be successful in those areas without some retraining. Phenomenal questions. <laughs> um, the role and responsibility that we all share in regards to information sharing of the fact that these jobs will not be here lies on all of us. It lies on the Economic Opportunity Board, it lies on Clark County as a, as a regional entity, it lies on the Workforce Connection Board, and it also uh, most pointedly lies on the industry professionals themselves. Uh, we all have a shared responsibility to sh let the public know about the information pointed to that these jobs are not gonna be here, mm -hmm. number one. Uh, number two, you spoke to uh, a shift in workforce needs, mm -hmm. new industries popping up. That goes back to the information that we're gonna get from the industry professionals to let us know like, hey, we're forecasting where we're going. That's where the relationship with the colleges come in place, the community colleges mm -hmm. specifically, the work with the all the Nevada system of higher education, the work with the board members themselves and the work uh, in collaboration with the industry and also uh, federal partners as well to make sure that we have the workforce in place to meet the job demands and needs of the future. We know that we are going to start shifting away from so many people being inside of brick and mortar facilities. Mm -hmm. We know that. We also know that with that shift and with knowing 
and understanding that that's going to happen, there lies an opportunity in the types of tax incentives that are going to be provided to folks who are working from homes. And how can we make sure that the people benefit from this dramatic shift in uh, our everyday course of duties within our work, right? Right, right. So, yes, it is a change. Yes, it is going to be a great shift in the way that, that, that folks have to do business. Yes, there's going to be a lot of personal responsibility attached to that. But what this virus has showed us is that, uh, yes, you have to be not only socially, socially responsible, but you have to be physically responsible with your normal course of work. A lot of people are working from home. Mm-hmm. That has also played a toll, taken a toll on them, on their mental health. We yes. cannot um, ignore that that is a fact. Uh, but within all that being said, there also lies an opportunity for additional resources to come into the home because now you're using more electricity. Now you're using uh, more Internet every day. Now you're, uh, now you're in front of a computer screen more than what you've ever been accustomed to right. being in front of your entire life. So how can we work with our federal delegation to provide incentives, uh, not only to the states, but to the local governments to continue to incentivize folks being responsible with their normal course of work? Right. And and if you thought you were tied to that phone before, (laughs) right. (laughs) Now you got your phone, your computer and internet service that you're really going to be dependent on for you know, you're just day-to-day, not just day-to-day activities, but for work. Yeah. Right? And and I think that also ties back to uh, the child care issue that we talked about earlier. As people move more to this work-from-home slash remote um, access um, kind of model, what we found during the COVID crisis is that even though people were at home and trying to do some things remotely for their existing jobs, it really becomes more difficult because you're also dealing with the kids that you may have at home or uh, anyone else, uh, other adults who may be in the household. You get, there's a lot of distractions. So how do you manage your time better? Uh, how do you make sure that uh, and you talked a little bit about the, the mental aspect of that. How do you make sure that you're keeping yourself healthy while doing all of these additional uh, activities that you haven't done before as a result of being work, uh, in a work-from-home environment? Mm-hmm. So, you know, one thing that you touched on in your last comment was um, the fact that there's going to be an increase in demand of the type of workers that are going to be needed to fill the jobs that are new and jobs that are existing, but jobs that, you know, we're forecasting that would be here in the future. And that is, you know, that is driven by demand. Mm-hmm. And we have to be responsible enough to, to, to address the needs of, let's just say, you have a manufacturer moving here, uh, moving their entire operation here, and they manufacture let's just say they manufacture chocolate, for example. We may not have the current workers needed to move into that industry to help that business be able to thrive. Mm -hmm. But if we are able to work with that industry-specific model and prepare the workers that are going to be needed say the, we know the build out is coming three years from now. That means that we have three years to work with our trades if needed. We have three years to work with our, uh, our higher education institutions mm-hmm. as well as other industries to prepare to fill those, say, let's just say it's 500 jobs in the next three years. The relationship that we have on the Workforce Connection Boards and, and, and the advisory board members are seriously situated to help really fill that need. So uh, with, with, with that being said, we're always constantly working in a collaborative manner to make sure that we're addressing the, 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 the supply need, but also the demand that's driven by the consumer, right? Mm-hmm. So when people are working from home or they're working inside of the, the, these, these, these new businesses that are coming up, we always have to look uh, through a lens of, of equity. We always have to look through a lens of, uh, of mental health, mental, mental, mental health preparedness. Like how are we pre- preparing mm-hmm. folks mm-hmm. to be mentally fit to do these types of jobs? 
And we always have to look through a lens of are we providing the best uh, work experience or, or, or workplace experience for those who are going into these new industries. Right. And as long as, in my opinion, we continue to keep, you know, those little tenants in place uh, as we continue to prepare and forecast where we're going to be in the next 10, 20 years. I like, per per personally, I like to look, you know, 20 years down the road uh, because uh, it's not about today. We're, we're, we're working to tomorrow uh, for, for, for tomorrow. You know, we're working today for tomorrow. Right. So, right. you know, that's me and, personally. And, yeah, and that's kind of the the same viewpoint that we at EOB take in terms of being able to provide services to individuals and families because even though our job is to make sure that anyone who comes or requests a service from us, our, our, motiv our motivation is to move people from a dependent state to an independent state so that the resources we provide aren't necessarily a, a permanent fixture in their lives, but they're able to utilize those resources to better themselves and their families to get a step up so that they can function better and at a higher level and go from a in crisis or vulnerable state to be thriving. But we also have to make sure that as we move through that process, one, there's enough resources out there for them to be successful. And then two, we can move them into areas that will help them be thriving in those areas where they are already either A, astute in some way, shape, or form, or B, can get training to be more successful and then become thriving in those particular areas. You, you talked a little bit about equity and um, making sure that the mental health aspect is also taken care of uh, as we move through the recovery effort. Uh, EOB is working with a group called the Nevada Resiliency Project, which does a lot of the uh, support service for people who are at home who may be experiencing some difficulty. Um, they help with, uh, well, they provide a helpline that allows people to call in, talk to a caseworker, um, just talk about what their current needs are, how they're feeling, uh, what kinds of stresses are they going through, and then ask questions about where can they get help, um, how can they uh, do better in a particular area, and just make sure that they're functioning normally, or at least as, as close to normal as possible, as we move through this recovery and through the COVID crisis. So it sounds like to me we're going to need more mental health professionals uh, as we navigate this new, this new, this new life that you know that we're all trying to thrive in, uh, with COVID being here, uh, but uh, there, in that need uh, presents an opportunity again uh, for us to to continue to you know recruit, uh, educate, and, and send out more mental health professionals into the workplace. And it sounds like there are more business models that are that are available now uh, because we have. Mm -hmm. Uh, so many people working from home, right? So I think... Um, well, the demand is there. The, the demand, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. driven by, right? right. This, this, this experience that we all have and sharing. So um, I sincerely believe that uh, the work is shared. I believe that many hands make for light work. You know, uh, you know, we, if this table, we want to move this table and it's 500 pounds put sitting on this table that we're sitting at, uh, me and you might struggle with, right, but right. we bring a few more hands, it might becomes a little bit lighter. Exactly. So we all share in the responsibility to be responsive to one another uh, in a way that has not been seen in the past. But one thing that we do know is throughout history, uh, when we experience difficult times, whether we're talking about the depression, uh, over 60, 70 years ago, or we're talking about, uh, you know, the recession in 2008, nine, or we're talking about right now uh, in, in 2021 with uh, our recovery from COVID, uh, the consistent has been our willingness to come together as Americans uh, to be there for one another to help uh, make the load a little bit lighter. So I'm incredibly uh, grateful to be in this role right now. Um, like again, it's been uh, nonstop work to meet the needs of the people. Uh, and, and, it, and it went from being sheltered in place, essentially, to 
okay, now it's time to get tested to see if I have uh, COVID-19. And now we're shifting to another phase, which is uh, making sure that we have the sufficient number of people that needs to be vaccinated in order to reopen so that we can get people back to work. Uh, but with all that being said, uh, the, the, the very nucleus and at the very core of it all is planning and process. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it takes proper planning uh, to prevent going back to where we were before. But uh, with that planning that needs to be done, there's a process to getting to a place uh, where we can resume, ni- resume life uh, to a place where we knew it before. Um, and, and that responsibility is shared amongst all of us. So you talked a little bit about planning, and I kind of want to shift a little bit. I know everybody will get bored with us just talking about, you know, COVID and all this other stuff. Tell us, now that you're here as a commissioner and you have a, a viewpoint of what's happening within the, the Las Vegas Valley, can you give us an idea of what some of your goals are of, during your tenure here? So, Certainly. Um, and that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Uh, I started my uh, my career, uh, I guess you would call it in public service, as a student body president at the College of Southern Nevada. And I had an opportunity uh, within that role uh, to create policy to help people access higher education and receive resources and not have to focus on uh, the cost of everyday living and focus more on attaining that degree. From there, I, I shifted my focus to represent my community that I grew up in as a state legislator, focus on laws to, uh, I guess you could say, reform some of the, the legal policies that we live under, in addition to identifying ways to incentivize economic development in our district, which happens to be one of the most impoverished districts in the entire Clark County area. And it's by design. Mm-hmm. And I say that because it's one of the oldest areas in town where a concentration, a high concentration and a high percentage of the uh, African-Americans were granted to stay. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, uh, the migration came from the South. And that helped to inform me with my, um, my goal in the legislature to identify more economic development opportunities, which brings me to a place where I was able to pass policy implemented at the state level. And now, ironically enough, we're at the county level where we can actually implement some of those policies. So I guess you can say that I forecasted a little bit uh, where we will be today. Mm-hmm. The goal now is to have a hyper focus on economic development, economic opportunity, improving the social infrastructure for the residents in Clark County Commission District D, in addition to making sure that we build up um, a, a, a broad swath of, of future leaders of tomorrow. Right now, we are working on creating an economic driver that is going to diversify the revenue that we get into Clark County by creating essentially a tourism attraction here in the historic West Side that's focused on that's going to be solely focused on art, entertainment, and education that will create an experience for those who are willing to travel to Las Vegas and travel further north to the historic west side to experience uh, arts, entertainment, and culture. Um, we will be creating a micro-business park that will foster and that will uh, be a catalyst for creating more entrepreneur opportunities uh, for for folks within this community and actually folks who live outside of the historic West Side, which is also going to be creating uh, jobs, more entrepreneurs, but also more affordable housing, which ultimately means that you're increasing the 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 income level of this district. Oftentimes, and over history, we've heard that a lot of people didn't want to come and do business in this area simply because of the fact that we didn't have enough economic uh, potential or economic output because we didn't have a lot of folks who made a certain income level within the district. But with creating more businesses, with creating more taxable revenue, with creating more um, affordable housing, uh, we are also creating more mixed use and more mixed income opportunities as well, which is going to further attract people to come and do business here within the, 
west side and within east side and within all of Commission District D. All right. So, you know, EOB is headquartered at the historic west side school. I do. And in the city of Las Vegas. Yes. And and what we've seen as a part of the 100 plan and the restructuring of the historic west side, uh, in addition to the new signage that's going up and the large billboard that we've got, but we are starting to see, at least in that area, movement by the city to do some restructuring, to bring in some new business types. Um, and then they're also looking at doing some groundbreaking I believe later this year, right next door to where we're currently housed, to put in some, put in one facility, a multi-story facility, to do, to provide educational activities, uh, some business resource development, uh, and then also to provide some space for other nonprofits to come in and provide service, not necessarily along the, um, traditional norms, but do things like uh, similar to what SCORE does. So how do we do uh, business development and training for individuals who are looking to go into our entrepreneurial field? Uh, how do we teach people to do more IT-related type things? So there, there's been movement, um, and we're starting to see that. One of the things that EOB has been involved in is making sure that as those activities happen, we get the word out to the public so that they're aware of it and they can provide feedback. We also want to make sure that what's not left out of the equation isn't just the economic side, but how do we make the area more livable and walkable? And then what kind of recreational resources are also going to be provided? Because you have It'll be mixed use with business and residential, but we also want to make it an area where people can live, work, and play. So we are a resource-heavy community. If you were to just do an asset map of how many resource-driven businesses and business fronts we have within a quarter-mile radius of the West Side School, I think as a guesstimate, you would find that we have over 50, 60 resource-driven entities within the area. And I am of the philosophy that if you provide space for folks who have a business idea and all they need is a little bit of hand-holding, a little bit of legitimizing, and a little bit of... Um, opportunity to retain their revenue, we can help build that business in a way that is unmatched. And then after a certain period of time, we can send them out into the, to, to the rest of the county and bring the next business in and do the same thing all over again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is what this micro business park is going to do for the community. You mentioned the fact that we are going to need to promote the resources that are going to be going into this new space. And I believe that our, our city councilman is, has been working really hard mm -hmm. uh, to, 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 to bring more into the, the, the Ward 5. And I believe we have a lot of synergy. Um, I would like to see us have more housing as well, which is also eloquently displayed within the 100 plan. But if we don't have a focus as a people, and I'm speaking as a black man who's a county commissioner in an area that has been historically disinvested in, uh, if we don't have a hyper focus on business and leadership within business, uh, and not just your traditional black owned businesses, like we have a lot of barbershop salons, but I also think we have a lot of untapped potential of businesses that have not even had an opportunity to be opened up and set free into the world yet. And that is what uh, we seek to do uh, within the county and be of assistance to the city councilman as well, while realizing that we're perfectly aligned parallel to make sure that we improve the quality of life in this community. 
uh, which is why it's also a really beautiful thing that we're focusing on housing because we will not have businesses that can survive economically through traffic through the front doors if we don't have uh, more uh, mixed income Somebody's got to buy it, right? Uh, right. And, and the thing <laughs> is, uh, there has to be a very delicate approach to growth uh, in an area that is as uh, culturally rich as this one uh, because the last thing that we want is for um, you know my parents, other folks' grandparents uh, to be gentrified we don't want this area to be gentrified because this area is beautiful. We call it the historic West Side, but while it is historic in nature, uh, we have people who are currently living here now. So there is a lot of life and a lot of richness within this area. And the question is, how do we as elected officials partner with the community, holding hand in hand to help them see the vision without not making them feel like they're not being heard? but also continue to um, grow in a way uh, that other folks can have buy-in in too. Right. And, and you talked a little bit about equity, which is where this kind of leads to. So what efforts um, are, are either A, currently in place, or B, being planned to help residents who are currently in the area, one, retain and maintain the property that they currently have, and then two, how do we make sure that if there is interest from those residents who are in the area who want to be a part of this new growth effort, how do we make sure that they have equitable opportunities to be successful in that? Well, um, number one is information. Uh, you're speaking to um, you're speaking to sometimes an issue with communication and the methodology around the communication that we're doing with the community. Right. Uh, it's not always going to you know, uh, be done through mail. Uh, it's not always gonna be done through phone call because we are a working class community. Uh, but we are going to find that we're gonna have to get into the faces of the people while being socially responsible or physically responsibility with COVID. But uh, we're gonna have to knock on some doors and we're gonna have to ask point blank, what is it that you would like to see or what is it that you think uh, should be done or what are the specific issues that you are experiencing that we can help with uh, as your elected representative? Now, elected representatives, we can't legislate wealth, can't right. do that, right. but we can legislate policy that will provide opportunities for communities that have been historically marginalized and disenfranchised and being you know, pretty much ignored through the political process. Now, one thing that you pointed to that a lot of these residents have, uh, they're actually quite wealthy mm -hmm. because a lot of these homes are owned. Mm -hmm. No, no. Right. The only thing they're paying on it is property taxes. Right. So how do we educate the community in a way that they can leverage the resource that they have, which is home ownership and home equity, to pull some of those resources together to develop their own communities? Right which is a concept that I'm exploring. I have a real, I'm not gonna talk about it now, but it's on the top of my mind. All right, um, so it's on the plate. It's on the plate. All right. and, and, and the community is not on the menu. Right. Uh, they're at the table deciding right. what they're gonna do with their resource. So um, I, 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 I most sincerely believe in the power of the people. And I think that we're moving in a way uh, right now uh, where the quality of life is gonna be improved here, mm -hmm. right? And, um, we're going to see a lot of growth because there is nowhere to go. We're landlocked here in Clark County because we're sure. essentially in a valley, right. which means that we can go only so far out to the base of the mountain. Yeah, exactly. So we have to look at a lot of these infield developmental opportunities. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the historic west side, there is a lot of that that exists. Uh, so how can we focus on a few projects one at a time? And how can we focus on a few corridors one at a time? and build them up and also have community buy-in. But we, have to, we, again, have to be very, very careful with redevelopment opportunities, reinvestment opportunities, to not have the people feel like they're not being included in that change and also being feel like they're being left out uh, looking through the window as, they rain, as it rains on their head as they're looking in. Right, right. right. So we have to have a delicate approach, you know, like this is a very different community. This is not like any other community. Right. Let's be clear about that. This is very, very different. It's, been, it's, it's, it's experienced a lot of trauma. Mm -hmm. 
right? Let's be real about that. We've experienced mm-hmm. a lot of trauma. A lot of people, when they think about the historical West Side, and we only call it the West Side because it's west of the railroad tracks, right, which right. is where we were only be able to stay when we first came here. Let's be real about right, that. Right. So with knowing all these things, a lot of folks like to, again, bring up the Moulin Rouge, but we are much richer than just the Moulin Rouge. The Moulin Rouge is only open for like six months. Right. Right? That was a very short time in comparison to all the other things that have happened in the historic West Side. So um, we're rich in opportunity. We're rich in talent. What we need is more opportunities, more access to capital. We ain't talk about access to capital yet. And I'm not talking about loans. I'm not talking about loans. When I say access to capital, McCarty is not talking about loans. McCarty is talking about grants. Mm -hmm. Right? Let's be clear. I'm talking about grants when I say access to capital. Uh, for the benefit of the community. So, you know, I think we're on the right trajectory. I think we're going in the right place. And I just think we have to have good stewards, good policymakers with the foresight to develop policies to allow the community to be more included and also protect the community too, because uh, without the right protections in place, we can easily be exploited. So part of, and you talked a little bit about this as well, a lot, of, a lot of the assurances that the community will be able to take, it, take heart of will be through various forms of communication. One of the things that we've been working with Councilman Career to do is use the historic West Side School as kind of a centralized focus point to one, be able to describe some of those changes that are happening in the area and have a central location for everyone to come by and get information on what those changes are. Two, be a a focal point for different services that people may need or questions that they may have so that they can come in and get access to uh, CSN is going to provide some resources there. We're in the historic West Side School. Uh, Tech Impact is there to provide training. Uh, And then the city also has some resources there as well. And then lastly, we want to make sure that that area, as it's being redeveloped, has a place where people can come and interact with each other and with elected officials and business leaders to get more information on what's happening in the area. So we want to take our open areas, use those as uh, forums for town halls or talks or uh, community meeting spaces, just so that people can have a location where they can come in and interact and get the information that they need in order to be successful. Totally agree. Um, I think we have to find a way to make the community feel more uh, welcome mm-hmm. within those grounds uh, because it's just where it's situated geographically is sometimes difficult and or make mm-hmm. and or may make residents feel like they're not a part of right. that historical site right although my dad went to school there you know that's right. you know I, you know we got relatives who went to school there right so and not only relatives community members but we just, like, again, our, our communication, you know, most people say, you know, in, in comms, people would tell you that you need seven points of communication at all times to move a person, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and there's a cost associated sometimes with that communication model, whether it be radio, whether it be the digital, whether it be email, whether it be email, mm-hmm. whether it be phone, whether it be text message, or whether it be through dropping a geo fence around a certain area of folks who are on social media to get them to see that there's something going on in their community. Which, which may be so, a better option, right? You know, so, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, right. but then you got to think about um, the changing demographics within the community, too. Mm-hmm. We cannot ignore that. Uh, there is a lot of uh, change that's happening within the community. Uh, the, so the question is, how do we how do we t- speak to everyone within our community? There are different languages now. Right. You know, I know tu habla español, right? Do you, right. Do, you, do, you, do you understand how to communicate with everybody? You know, and I personally think, and this is just me, I like throwing parties. So how can we throw a party for the community mm-hmm. outdoors at the historic West Side School? 
jumpers, music, sure, barbecue, right there with Casey. Uh, pin, hey, so. pinatas, and right. you know we, right. we we could do some taco trucks the whole night. Invite yeah. the entire community out to experience the amenities that we offer with on within the campus. Exactly. That is how we're going to involve the community. That is how we're going to be able to inform the community of what's happening. It's not going to be through sending a piece of mail or through uh, just making a text message or making a phone call or sending an email or, you know, like remember seven, seven methods of communication is what it takes to move somebody. So uh, how are we executing all of those to make sure that we, um, don't allow for someone to say that they didn't know what was going on within their backyard. Right, and, and we also want to make sure that it's consistent Consistency. and that it's meaningful for people because a lot of times, you know, you may send out one or two pieces of information and if it doesn't move them, then they're not gonna show up or, you know, they, they'll say, hey, I, I didn't know about it, right? I, I sent tens of thousands. <laughs> I sent over 100,000 pieces of mail probably. And that still wasn't enough to move everybody. Right. That, but I got to send mail. I got to knock on your door. I got to have a bird with a, with, a, with a note attached to his ankle to, to, to drop a campaign list. <laughs> you got to get creative. You got to be on social media. You, you got to make the phone calls. You got to knock on doors, whatever it takes. You, you know, know, I got to drop right. a water bottle with right, my face right, and name right, and email right. on it, you know, so you just never know. But, uh, we're doing everything that we can do. And y'all are doing great work, man. I, I just, I just, you know, I just am so, um, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to, to deepen our relationship. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of people who have a lot of um, focus, a lot of interest in this area, but we are the vanguard. We are the frontline force that's gonna make sure that uh, we're taking care of our community in a way that other uh, groups and entities and nonprofits will not. And that's just a reality, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, I, I like the trajectory that we're going in. All right. Is, is there anything else that uh, you may want to impart to us? Uh, anything special that you're doing or Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so I mentioned the micro business part. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also going to be uh, focusing focusing on, um, and, and this is brought forward uh, because of what COVID showed us. It, cho- it showed us that we were food insecure uh, here in North America. So we have to do more research to understand urban agriculture, to understand uh, GMOs and how it impacts our food. And we have to learn how to uh, essentially uh, thrive in by the way of fresh food. And uh, a third of the world's climates uh, are much like Nevada's. Uh, so we have a unique opportunity in doing uh, research and development uh, on food. So our Marcos Business Park, we're focusing on food, food insecurity. At the top of everything we do is service. You know, our job is service. Mm-hmm. You can ask anyone in my staff, they'll tell you that uh, we know that our job is to serve in the most humble way. You know, you check your ego at the door. There is no ego in this office. It's only service, service-minded people, service-hearted. Um, but more than that, we're just trying to be someone who can, we're trying to be the office that can help navigate people to the resources that they need. Uh, Clark County, uh, we have another influx of, of millions of dollars coming into uh, the county to help us uh, allocate um CARES housing assistance money mm-hmm. uh, to folks who are, 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 are on the cusp of losing their homes due to non-payment because they're not, they haven't been working. So uh, you can reach out to our office to, to, to apply for, to get information to apply for the CHAPS grant, CHAP. Uh, that's County Housing Assistance Program. We also have utility assistance uh, we're also helping with, uh, you know, food insecurity by way of helping to partner with the food distributors like the Culinary Training mm-hmm. Academy of, mm-hmm. of Las Vegas. We've been partnering with them. We actually have a, um, a food drive, a food, food distribution uh, drive coming up this tomorrow, actually, mm-hmm. tomorrow, uh, starting at, I believe, 8 a.m. And where is that at? That's going to be at Craig Ranch Park. Okay. And we have, a, we have a lot of projects that we're working on. Uh, we're working on a, a, a new senior uh, living facility. 
I'm not going to tell you who we're going to honor, <laughs> but it's going to be a complete surprise. And it's someone who mm-hmm. has who was a pillar, who was a pillar in this community, okay. who's no longer with us, unfortunately, but someone who transcended the way that we think about leadership. Right. And um, we also want you to know if you have anyone that you would like to honor uh, by way of proclamation or proclamat, we would like to um, honor them. We would like to bring them either to the county commission. Small Business Week is coming up in May, May 1st through May 8th. Uh, we're going to be honoring some small businesses within District D, all across District D from the East Las Vegas to West Side to North Las Vegas. We're going to be all over the place because service is what we do. <laughs> all right. Uh, but, yeah, we got a lot cooking, so I would love to come back and talk with you anytime. Okay. Um, I, I sincerely see you as a partner, CEOB as a partner. Truly grateful for the work that you do. I know we haven't had a lot of opportunity to work together in the past, and primarily because my focus was at the state legislature with other different other policies. But here within the county, there's a lot of coordination and collaboration that had that needs to be done. And um, let us know how we can continue to be an asset. You know, this is a perfect. You know, uh, right where we're sitting right now, you right, all right, can't right. see, but where <laughs> we're sitting is an MLK a community center, uh, which is being ran and managed by the Equal Opportunity Board. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, that nice new 7,500 square foot ex- extension. You know, <laughs> hey, hey, it, is, it is plush, y'all. It is plush. And uh, if you haven't had an opportunity to, to come over and see it, it's located. Uh, seriously, it's located right here on the, uh, the corner of MLK and Cary. Just a beautiful facility where we can't wait to welcome uh, our seniors back at 100%. Uh, a lot of amenities have, you know, we have a kitchen, we have a movie room. Uh, we have a banquet hall. Uh, we have a yoga studio or dance studio, whatever we want to call it. Whatever you need. It, it's your studio. <laughs> right. And um, it, it's here for you to enjoy. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, being our guest today. Uh, we got a lot of good information, and uh, EOB definitely is ready, willing, and anxious to uh, assist the county and you in any endeavors that you have. Um, and again, our focus as well is the entire county. So if there's anything that's happening from Mesquite to Prim, out to Boulder City, whatever you need, you know, we're yeah. here for you. So yeah, we love to hear it. I mean, you, I can't wait to see, you know, for you to see all the stuff that we're working on. Um, we have some major projects that we're going to be working on in East Las Vegas, here in West Las Vegas. Uh, we're going north to over there by CSN Cheyenne Campus. We're literally all over the place, um, and and we're 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 collaborating with everyone. You know, we're collaborating with Congressman Stephen Horsford. He is our congressman. I call him the People's Congressman. That's my guy. Uh, he's representing the Fourth Congressional District, uh, but uh, he has been a phenomenal asset, I, I must say, uh, to the county and helping us have the resources that we need. Which means that you have the resources that you need. Uh, so, uh, you know, can't wait to come back and, and talk with you and um, share some more time and space with you. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we'll keep you up to date with what we're doing and uh, hopefully we'll do a lot more collaborations and we'll be able to see the fruits of our efforts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, but you know what? The fruit is greatly dependent upon the root. Yes, it is. So if you ain't got good yes, roots, you is. ain't got good fruit. That's right. <laughs> so thank you. All right. Thanks. All right. Thanks for talking with us, Commissioner. We are excited to see the impact you have on our community. If you are in need of assistance, please reach out to us on our website at eobcapsnv.org or call 702-445-7105. See you soon.